everybody. Welcome to the Weekly Nightly Podcast, episode 14, as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. And as always, I'm AJ. I am Carla. Hey guys, this is Eric. And it's Dave. All right, so we got a, we got a probably pretty short, but uh, really good content podcast coming up today. So we, we're, we're going to talk about the big fish first. So let's uh, jump right into it. Um, so in the, in the past uh, podcast, we were like, holding out hope and we were trying to do the recording as late as possible with uh, as late as reasonably possible so that we could hopefully like talk about the Petro signing here. So we didn't sign Petrangelo by the time that we recorded. We were a little bit bummed out about that. So in in turn, they did sign like, what was it the next day, I think, or a couple days later. So obviously we're really excited. Um, Want to just jump right into initial thoughts. So Dave, what, what did you think about this, uh, the Petrangelo signing yet? and uh, the move of Nate Schmidt and everything involved with that. Well, Petra going for 8.8 is actually what surprised me. I didn't think he would go for that high. I was thinking to be closer to maybe 8, 8.25. And I was honestly hoping for 7.75, even though I knew it wouldn't really happen. But that's why I figured 8 to 8.25 per year. Uh, the full no movement clause and everything and all that, that was not a surprise at all. The, all the bonus money was not a surprise, but just the 8.8 actually kind of surprised me. He went for that high because we know there is, you know, a cap crunch this year. So I thought they would try to at least get a little bit of wiggle room and Petra would uh, sign for a little bit less because, you know, in the hometown, not the hometown discount, but the, the taxes around here and everything else being cheaper and, you know, so that kind of surprised me. So, uh, Carlo, how about you? Uh, I'm excited for this whole uh, Petro thing. I he's he's a top. I think he's a top three defenseman in the league. Like I think Hedman and Yosi are the only two that's better, and that's my opinion. Like I look, I look at all the defensemen in the league. I think Petro overall, like there are there are uh, defensemen that are better at offense than him, but as an overall defenseman, I think Petro is top three. I and that. And as much as I love Nate Schmidt, this is a huge upgrade. And I understand the uh, the big risk of him dropping off when he's older with his seven-year contract. But, you know, uh, Charles played until he's 43, so we never know. So it, I'm really excited for this, especially when you have Theodore and Petro at the same blue line. That's, that's top five defensive core in, in the league like what 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 like what else can you say i am so excited for this uh what do you think uh eric let's uh well i mean so to to touch on a couple things that you guys guys talked about um dave the the 8.8 yeah i i tend to kind of agree the first report was like 8.25 or so um but it does show you probably that that vegas was whether we know who they were competing against, it felt like they weren't competing against anybody, but I mean, to, to get them signed, Vegas was going to take this, this risk. So that's something that, that Kelly McCrimmon came out that night and said is, Hey, when a top blue line player comes available, these players don't come available. And he likened it to, to Mark Stone last year or the year before when a top three at their position player comes available. The only way you're typically able to get somebody that good is to draft them. Right. So for Vegas, they were willing to move heaven and earth to, to get him. If he was willing to come here, they were going to, going to do it. He wants a new move clause. Same as Mark stone. No problem. Here you go. Full time. You can tell us if you want to leave or not uh, bonuses to make it buyout proof. No problem. We'll do that. So I think it, it shows that this ownership group uh, or not group, but Foley, and management group is willing to do whatever it is to, to win. Um, and as a fan, how can you do anything other than be excited about that? I mean, look, it sucks. And we'll talk about it a little bit, what we had to move out in order to, to accommodate him. But look, at the end of the day, he's, I agree with Carlo. He's a, he's a top three um, defenseman in the league. And there's, I mean, the Golden Knights talk about him being, based on their analytics, number one, like they think he's the best defenseman in the league. So of course they're going to go and get him. And of course they're going to move somebody that in their mind is not as good to, to get him. So I love the move. I think it is absolutely worth it. It is, he'll be good for, for five, six of those years. It's only a seven year deal. So, I mean, 
and we talk about it. Same thing with the uh, Max Pacioretty deal, this deal, the Mark Stone deal. Those deals work out if you win a cup in the next five years. Nobody cares after that, right? Nobody cares that Nick Suzuki's lighting it up in, in Montreal if you win a cup, right? Nobody cares what Nate Schmidt does or what, what misfits you lost if you have a cup and the players that you went and got have their name on that cup. Like that's the only thing that matters. And that's what this management group, ownership group is, is given to their fans. So I love it. Yeah. So I, I personally don't think that in, in recent history, I've ever seen a team that's one too big, like either free agency, like Petrangelo or pending free agents, like, uh, like Mark Stone. I, I don't think I've ever seen a team win that many of those like big, you know, kind of frenzies in, in a row like this. Um, Cause if you really think about it, it's only been, you know, we're a season separated from the pickup of Mark Stone, basically, um, since we're still just coming off the 1920 season here. Um, but some of my thoughts on the Petrangelo acquisition itself, um, obviously I agree with everything everybody said. Uh, he's a top defenseman. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he's got a Norris in him and obviously he's going to be very, very good leadership for Shea Theodore. Um, also think that you know, people are upset about the length and, and the, the structuring of that contract where a lot of it's in signing bonuses for the first six or seven years. So it could potentially be kind of buyout proof for most of the life of the contract. At the same time that I think that his, when he's older and he's not playing as well as he has been, you know, up until this point in his career, I think that his kind of bad years are, are going to look like some of the better defensemen on, that we've had on this team in the past. So he might look like somebody like Nate Schmidt when he's in year six or seven of this contract, which I think is still pretty darn good considering that Nate Schmidt is not a terrible player by any, by any regard. So that's kind of my thought on this is that I think his ceiling is obviously way, way, way higher than Schmidt's could ever be. And that's not a dig against Schmidt. This guy is just one of the most elite defensemen of this generation of the NHL. And then when you look at it, you know, his floor is going to be about where Schmidt's been lately. So I, I'm not going to complain about that. I mean, if, if that takes, it's going to look bad if, if we don't win a cup, like you said, Eric, but yeah, I mean, you know, you have to make those moves in order to, to get these kind of level of elite players. Um, so before we, or, or as we like go into talking about future roster here, um, and, I, and I'll pass it back to Dave first, um, but before we get into, you know, who's going to be playing and stuff, does that, is anybody concerned about what we traded out versus getting to just Petrangelo in, knowing that we traded out Stastny along with Schmidt in order to make room for, for Petrangelo and also hold on to Flurry or get stuck with Flurry, however you want to look at it? I hated having to trade Schmidt. I mean, yeah, he, he made mistakes, but like Carlos said quite a few times over the last couple months here, uh, Schmidt plays up against the top guys and you get pushed into mistakes sometimes. Um, and you know, we can't say everyone is blameless on the team. Everyone makes mistakes, even though his were kind of glaring at times, but still he was a productive defenseman and hated losing that guy. Cause a person, not just because of the personality he brings to the team, but overall, he was still a good defenseman. I, I wish we could have figured out a way to keep, uh, Schmidt and keep, uh, our sign Petra at the same time, but it's just, the matter of money and Nate Schmidt was our highest paid defenseman before uh, Petro signed here. So it, I mean, it sucks. It, it really sucks, especially the way he interacts with the community. The community loved Nate Schmidt about as much as they love flurry. And it's, it's going to hurt for some people. And, and who knows how the team is going to react with this, but Petro is one of the best defensemen in the league. And you got to, Every single year, a team needs to try to improve. Yeah, the, the move, I feel like losing him in the community hurts more than losing him on the ice. Not not to take anything away from Schmidt's play on the ice, but his involvement in this community, he was a fan favorite. Like, everybody loved him. Everybody loved his smile, his goofiness. He's just the, uh, He's just a really cool guy, and and I've, I already even see on Twitter, like, people criticizing his play because when you're a, a defensive-minded defenseman, not that Schmidt was 100% defensively-minded defenseman because he had some offensive upside on him, but when you are that defensively-minded defenseman, you don't 
contribute as much in the offense. The things that stand out to people is the mistakes they make on their own end. And that's what, especially in the playoffs, that's what people are calling out Nate Schmidt and Ed, to an extent, McNabb for, saying that they are terrible defensemen, they can't, uh, like, they had a bad playoffs. Like, they had an okay playoffs. I don't think they had a great playoffs. But they, when people say that they are, like, bad defensemen because of that, like, like I said before, they played against top competition. Every defenseman playing on their own and is eventually going to get burned. Even even the best ones like Hedman or Petriangel, they're gonna they're gonna lose sometimes. It happens. It's hockey. You know what I mean? It, but like, but what I was saying before, losing Schmidt in the community was such a big hit. Even I feel like I love Nate Schmidt. He's one of my favorite guys. He's he wears my favorite number. I mean, come on. Uh, so it, it, it and and Stasny. A lot of people associate Stastny with Petriangelo too. He's a little bit part of it, but I feel like Stastny was more moving. Stastny was more to fit Leonard in the cap than Petriangelo, although his cap was like big enough to accommodate for both. But uh, that's that's my take on the Schmidt thing. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, the, the I mean, on the on Dave's point on on wish we could have cap him. I mean. That five point nine five, I mean, that's six million dollars versus the next guy that everybody kind of looked at. Oh, hey, we'd love to, and we even talked about it. Would be um, Martinez. Four years difference, obviously, but four million dollars versus six million dollars. They had to make that six million work because they're going to be able to be cap compliant now without making another move. Whereas if they traded Martinez, they would have had to make another move to, to fit that in. You still would have been a couple million dollars away from being cap compliant. So. Yeah, it sucks, but I think if you look at it, for every year of the five years that Nate Schmidt has his deal and the, and the seven years that, that Petro has his deal for the first five years, Petro is going to be better every single one of those years. It's So talking about the 8.8, I think you're going to underpay Petro for the first couple of years, and then, yeah, you're going to overpay in the last couple of years, but the first couple of years is when, when it matters, right? He is going to be – look at Eric Carlson's deal, right? So San Jose Sharks, defenseman traded for him they signed him 11.5 million i think he has seven left too i think he has the same seven years left so who would you rather have petro or eric carlson for the next seven years at 8.8 versus 11.5 dowdy's at 11.5 um there's another defenseman that's really really high up there Edmonds up there suban oh yeah i forgot suban's in the nines like so could you say based on this exact market that we've seen over the last month that it's a little high, yes. But if you looked at any other previous year or the previous five years, I think it's a very, very team-friendly deal, which is what Vegas has been able to get their players to do. So, I, uh, yeah, it sucks losing Schmidt. Like you guys all said, the, the, the market and all the stuff. You know what the market likes more than people that are really friendly? Winners, right? This town is fickle. If they go out and win, if this team goes out and wins, they will not remember Nate Schmidt. I'm sorry. As, as cold as that sounds, they like winners. Can I make one point about Petro's age, though? Because everybody's saying he's a little bit older. Here, here's the thing. He's only six months older than Nate Schmidt. No, he's a year and a half older, I think. A year? No, no. Yeah, I think you're I think oh, I, missing I, a year. I, missing I you're missing a year, year and a half. So that's not, that's not even a lot older than Nate Schmidt, is my point. For, for, uh, for me, I, I go a different way when it comes to age. I look at Schmidt has unfortunately been suspended for, for something that we don't need to discuss too much, but he also has multiple years where he's had injuries and missed time. I think Petro has missed less than 60 games his entire career, like total through the 11 years that he's been playing. Like he does not miss time at all. So Petro, he's bigger. He's like six, four. Um, he isn't this big physical bruising guy, but he will use his, his size when he needs to. So he's smart about it. I, I think, I don't know. I, I, once again, for the first, for the next five years, I think Petro is going to be head and shoulders better than Schmidt. So yes, it, it sucks because, because we like the guy, but as a fan of the team, the team's better. The team is better today than it was before they, they, or the, when they ended the season, in my opinion. To add on that, though, too, not, none of us are no Sodramas here. And there's no guarantee at the end of this contract that he's going to be playing bad, though, either. You never know. He still could be very, very productive. So I know a lot of people out there are saying, 
like, oh, that contract's going to be so horrible at the end. Like, you don't know that. Nobody knows that. You could be right. You could be wrong. I, I can't stand predictions like that. I think Joe Thornton, what's Joe Thornton? He's like 41 or 42? Yep. He, oh, yeah, 41, yeah. He's about seven months younger than me, so he's 41. So three years ago, he signed a $5 million deal. Like, he, he was still playing good at 38. So, I mean, it's it's not a like, – like Dave said, no, nobody knows what it's going to be. And anybody that wants to complain about the amount of money that is in um, signing bonuses, it's not your money. Foley is, is paying it. Be happy that you have an owner that is willing to use the, the parts of the um, CBA that allows them to get the players that want to come here. And I think – go ahead, Carl. I was just going to uh, say – go ahead. No, sorry. You go finish your, finish your point. For me, the thing that I find most amazing on a team that's three years old is the fact that now we've been in on the best forward that hit the market in Mark Stone – and the best defenseman that hit the market in, in Alex Petrangelo. Like the fact that you're three years old as a franchise and you are willing or not willing, but you are able to even get meetings with these players. It has become not just a, oh, hey, they're an expansion team. They're going to have all this money to, no, I want to go play there. Like these players are willing. And I don't know if any of you guys listened on uh, 31 Thoughts. So fantastic podcast, Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman probably Elliot Freeman, the most connected insider now that Bob McKenzie has retired in that he was talking about Vegas. The first 20 minutes is fantastic. It's essentially all Vegas, but he said that we had a meeting with hall. So the fact that we were in on even another elite forward is just, just once again, to me, it's astonishing that Vegas has been able to do that. And I, I love it. I mean, yes, team chemistry could at some point suffer, I don't think it's there yet. Once again, this team is going to realize Petro is better than Schmidt and they're going to go win. That's 23 captains, right? Keeping that locker room together. Uh, I was just going to make a point that uh, by the time Petri, by the tail end of Petriangelo's contract, uh, we don't even need him to be that number one defenseman anymore. He can be the number two because by that time, Shea Theodore is going to can take that mantle of being the, yeah. the, the blue chip number one defenseman. He's mm-hmm. he's even on the way there, I think, in my opinion. I think right now we could, uh, we legit have like the, Shea Theodore is the number one defenseman in a lot of different teams. We have two of those in our teams now. You know? It's nuts. Like if you think yeah, about like if you think about the especially under DeBoer's system. He, he, oh my God. So, so let's, let's take a step back and then we'll step into the ro- roster discussion about like, you know, some of the, the more prospect level players and stuff. So, so, but just like, imagine this for, for right now that, you know, Pete DeBoer went from having Brent Burns and, and he had Brent Burns during a decent part of Brent Burns's career um, yeah. versus like how he's played the last season um, had that one season where Eric Carlson was playing real good, but then he had it, but he didn't really have two full-on elite-level defensemen that were producing at elite levels at the same time. So, like, I think Brent Burns was starting to already trail off when Eric Carlson was was first on their team a bit. Um, and so, so then look at this. You got Petrangelo, who's still in his prime. Theodore, who's still up and coming. This must – and then having two actual good goalies, like – Oh my God, Pete DeBoer must be like you know a kid at Christmas every every time he walks into like a practice now. Well, now we just got to score goal, start scoring goals again. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm I not think, that worried. Yeah, which Petro will help with. Yeah, I think your point on that, AJ, that that I agree with. I mean, how many defensemen are realistically going into next year better than than Alex Petrangelo, Roman Yossi, Victor Hedman? And you can argue a couple more, but I'm probably taking Petrangelo in this system over any of the other ones. Yeah. So you got a top three defenseman right there, right? When it comes to Shea Theodore, yeah, he plays some sheltered minutes and stuff, but he's still young and growing. I mean, he's probably in that 10 to 15 range. So you're talking two defensemen that in proper points in the game, when when uh, score dictates it, you're going to have him on the ice at the same time. Like you're going to have Shea playing the left, Petra playing the right. Talk about just – fantastic and i think uh carlo or aj one of you guys made the point last podcast of it could be similar to what dallas did with klingberg and heiskanen to where if they both play 25 minutes essentially they're going to be on the one of them one of the two pairings is going to be on the ice at all times that's why that's why that's why when i had a uh i wrote up uh i tweeted a lineup 
prediction or whatever earlier this week. Uh, of course, it's going to change. That's like, let's just right now what we roster have right now. And a lot of people uh, criticize it because I had Hague and White Cloud at the bottom of the, uh, as the bottom pair. And it's saying, it's like, I, I don't know if I want two rookies or whatever playing in the third pair. But here's the thing they're going to play. If you think Theodore play, was playing sheltered minutes, these two are going to play super sheltered minutes because mm-hmm. they're going to have Petriangelo and Theodore for pretty much 85% of the game. Uh, the bottom pair is probably going to play 10 to 12 minutes, sheltered minutes, and they can be there to develop and improve, play in the NHL, get their feet wet. You're going to play at the against fourth liners and third liners and all that. So I don't mind having – that gives us room to have Nick Hague and uh, White Cloud to be uh, – uh, as a bottom pair, that's why signing Petrangelo improves everybody. It's 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 great, you know. Yeah, so let's talk about that and move move into some of the future roster the kind of ideas because I I think that you know you're you're spot on, Carlo. I I know you and I have watched uh, watched that eighteen nineteen season of the mm-hmm. Wolves quite a bit, and that was a real big season for that specific pairing. I mean, they were like you you were saying a couple of weeks ago, they were probably the top D pair in the entire AHL that season. So and they were rookies. Yeah, and they were rookies to the AHL. So hopefully, you know, we see that chemistry at the NHL level and it does translate and and we're able to, you know, put those guys back together. Because imagine if they have that same chemistry and we're seeing that at the NHL level, that's the worst pair we have. Like, awesome. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, I have confidence in those two, man. They, they look great in that run. Yeah, and so, so um, you know what? What do you, what do you think the the pairings are going to be, Dave? Do you think that they're really going to pet, pair uh, Petrangelo with with Theodore, or do you think they're going to split him up? Or I I know I always kind of like me personally in a way you have an offensive defenseman matched up with a defensive defenseman, so I, I've always kind of liked that. So I don't know if you know you still maybe see if he works out with McNabb, but with that one two punch, maybe Theodore and Petron at the same time. You know that that's going to be pretty damn good. I mean, the speed out of those two and the offensive ability out of that too. But I, I still have been kind of, kind of liked on five on five anyway. You match up uh, offensive defenseman with a defensive defenseman like McNabb. So I could see that. But who knows? I mean, when they come back to training camp, you know, in a few months from now, as we'll talk about later on. But uh, who knows what we'll see. So, what do you uh, think, Carl? Yeah, I, 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 what I put up is I put McNabb and Petrangelo, Martinez and Theodore, because I don't think they're going to split Martinez and Theodore the way they played in the postseason in the uh, tail end of the regular season. And I think, uh, I mean, you say that Petrangelo's offensive defenseman, but I think he can do both. He's great at both ends. He's a, he's a true yeah. player. So, but having McNabb there as I, I still think I've, I've said this in the previous podcast or I even tweeted I defend McNabb a lot because everybody uh, he's a very underappreciated uh, he blocks a lot of shots he 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 is he's not very fast but he is responsible as an his own end the reason why uh, Nate Schmidt was able to have some of those because uh, he knows McNabb McNabb is there to uh, back him up like when he makes a, a Schmidt Schmidt makes you think McNabb's can come back and uh although although he have sometimes he goofs and that like I said that happens McNabb is not an elite talent but he is uh like he's played like he, he's is okay you know he's not you know Petriangelo or he's not an elite talent he's he's paid for what he is a 2.5 million I think he's actually a little bit underpaid uh so pairing him with Petriangelo will allow Petriangelo to do what he does in this offensive zone while McNabb can stay back and do his thing. Well, I, I think your pairings, Car- Carlo, I agree with you completely. I think it's going to be McNabb and Petrangelo. It's going to be Martinez and Shea Theodore. And then we're hoping that it's Haig over Holden, obviously, and White Cloud. Now, I think, obviously, game score is going to dictate it, right? If you're down, you're going to see pairings of – Theodore and Petrangelo. If you're up, you might see White Cloud playing with McNabb. I mean, it's just going to be a, a lot of game score dependent. But if you were just running through an even game, it, I agree with your pairings. But then you got to start looking at the special teams. So Petrangelo, I don't think he's going to get power play one minute. I know that that's a little interesting because that's what he got 
and he was really, really good at it. But I think Shea is so good at that power play one that he's going to keep power play one. And then Petrangelo will come in power play two, whether he's coming in with another defenseman or whether he's coming in with four forwards, that'll be interesting. But I think then your penalty killers, it's going to still be McNabb and White Cloud. And then your second unit is going to probably be Martinez and Petrangelo. So Petrangelo is going to get those penalty kill minutes where he wasn't getting as many um, power play minutes. But I, I still think Shea was so good on that top power play and they had to play him because they didn't have another option. He was playing a minute and a half where I think now he'll play a minute and a minute, if that kind of makes sense. So uh, yeah, I, I, I see Theodore staying up on the number one because he was just so productive. He was the only one who was productive. <laughs> and keep in mind that when DeBoer, we already talked about having Burns and Carlson, when DeBoer had both of them, they both played power play one. Now it didn't work perfectly because a true power play quarterback like Petrangelo or Shea Theodore probably need to just be back there with, with forwards. So it'll be interesting. I, I think they're going to tinker with it, but I think Pete DeBoer is the perfect coach for trying to figure out how to play elite defenseman. I mean, he, he, and that's, and Petrangelo talked about it when he was going to look, he knew the system that Vegas played. He knew that Pete DeBoer gets the most out of his defenseman. He wanted to come here. So that's once again, another fantastic for Vegas, fantastic opportunity. A quick word from our sponsors. Hi there. Pleased to meet you. My name is Tom Franklin, one half of the Blue Notes podcast and the Hockey Podcast Network. We've got that 2019 Stanley Cup power too sweet to be sour. And we're also your home for the best blues analysis. Yes, it's it's a it's a Bruin, but he, he's he's going to help the power play. And and that's what people need to understand. And, you know, they're going to look at it and say, oh, well, Justin Falk was supposed to help the power play as well. Tory Krug is legitimately going to help the power play. Felt like Newport was ready to go into this offseason and use Petrangelo as an example and say, okay, we're gonna play chicken here with with uh, with the COVID cap here. Someone is going to give Petrangelo his money. We also have great guests from here at home. St. Louis Post Dispatch, St. Louis Blues beat writer Jim Thomas, the organist for the St. Louis Blues, Jeremy Boyer, and around the world. Yo, Blues fans, it's Gerard, the Dutch Blues fan, all the way from the Netherlands. And no other podcast can say they have a Hawaiian hockey correspondent, but we do. Aloha! I'm Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, and this is my Aloha Commentary. Plus, a little self-deprecating humor thrown in there. One of our new Blue Note Selkie-level COVID mask, if I can turn it the right way there so I can properly sell it. I am, I, you know what? I am failing my prices right model audition right here. This is, this is terrible. He has opted for the uh, neck gator uh, version of this, and I'm still failing my prices right i'll just fuck it um, <laughs> voted the best podcast by our peers in the hockey podcast network follow tom and wags on facebook twitter and instagram at blue notes pod and be sure to subscribe to blue notes wherever you get your podcasts from this is tom franklin reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle and and so one one thing I will point out is, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and everybody that listens to this podcast, I'm pretty sure that Carlo just broke the record for the number of times you can say McNabb in a single minute. Good job. <laughs> I, 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 I think I counted like 15. So that, that was impressive. <laughs> I'm just glad he got to his point. I'm sitting there going. Hmm. I know. I'm like, I'm like, all right, all right. Uh, wait, wait, McNabb. Right. <laughs> Listen, as a I, uh, as an Eagles fan, McNabb was a big word I used when I was younger. So I'm just saying. <laughs> the first just word you McNabbed. learned. First word I learned. Oh man. So so let's let's move on and and talk about Glass a little bit because I know that this has been he's been one of the more I guess quote unquote controversial players in 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 certain ways just mainly because you know he got injured so many times in last season he was getting played out of position when he was with Turk. Um, I think we were all, this group I know was very frustrated. I mean, we had our group chat just going every time we saw him on the wing and we're like, what is going on with, with why he's there and with Egan in the center. So uh, just kind of wanted to 
go around the room here and see what uh, everybody thinks of uh, what's going to happen with Glass or, or where you think he's going to land from a, a skill level next year or well, this, next season. If, if I can spend about a minute and a half telling, just kind of giving a little bit of backstory. So his last year of juniors, he, I don't know if it was a torn ACL or what it was, but he, he injured his, I believe it was right knee. So missed a lot of time, but actually came back and played. And that was his last year in juniors and then came in and played in the AHL playoffs and was fantastic. Set a record for, for most points in an AHL playoffs by a rookie. Uh, then last year he came in, broke into camp because Eakin was injured and actually played center, played well. Then when Eakin came back, he got moved to the wing. Then he got injured with a concussion based on a late hit, which was very unfortunate. Then when he was ready to come back, they didn't really have a spot for him. They put him back in the AHL to, to get ready and be coming. Then he tore his other knee up. Same thing, had to have surgery on that. So he has not been what you would expect out of a number six center. And a lot of people want to talk about it because they traded Suzuki instead of him. And you just saw the run that Suzuki had. And they've, they couldn't get Eric Carlson that first year because they refused to include him. So he has a lot of lofty um, expectations from this management group. They love him. I think the more – and. Once again, Carlo was absolutely right. We talked about this before of Stasny moving. I think they made that move because they feel comfortable in Cody Glass. So Cody Glass is going to come up and take that second or third line center. Yeah, it could be Stevenson, but Cody Glass, make no doubt about it. If this team is going to win a Stanley Cup in the next couple of years, Cody Glass has to be a top six center for this team to reach their actual aspirations. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think they're going to, start out to try to get glass in the second line center or match them up with stone and patch ready. Cause we talked about sheltered minutes earlier. Those two players would be very, very great at sheltering. Well, sheltering. I don't know if that's the correct word I should use, but uh, giving him the minutes protecting, him. Hurt, yeah. protecting them. Yeah, that's the best. That's exactly uh, protecting him as he gets used to playing that amount of time. And when he started out last year between those two, he played pretty good. His vision there was outstanding, and they were, especially on the power play, they were scoring goals in bunches when he was out there with them too. So, and now with this added muscle that we're supposedly put on, uh, he's going to be a little more well tuned to playing the, a rougher game that's in the NHL compared to other levels. You know, notwithstanding dirty hits like we happened in that one game, but you know, people and people are going to start having to have faith in him because look at the run tuck went on in the playoffs after he came back from injury he played great <laughs> as i we see a, a shit-eating grin on glass's face right now <laughs> but uh but yeah we got to have faith in him the team has obviously showed faith in him by trading stasny for him making the club and being productive we the four of us have had faith in glass because we all said we're all going to get glass jerseys and we still will and I mean, I just, he's still what, 21 years old? Still 21. He's 21. Yeah. And I mean, I don't like giving up my kids like that. And one thing I kept saying before, too, when we mentioned about him playing out of position, I can't stand putting kids that are just fresh into the league playing out of position. Keep them at their natural position so they get used to it, they get, uh, become a veteran and have the veterans play out of position because they can handle it better. I can't stand having young kids play out of position. Fuck that. Yeah, Turk tur tur fucked that one up. Yeah, Cody Cody Glass is a pure center, and putting him in the wing and what whatnot was was a bad decision. And Eric, like you said, he was gonna he's gonna take the second or third center spot. But here's the thing, he's gonna take the first center spot because the Pacioretty Stone is the first line. <laughs> so, anyways, um, by, by the, the way, the, is that the first? That's not the longest we ever gone without saying fuck. That probably yes. is. I probably. think we went. Yeah, we went thirty plus minutes what? without saying that, fuck. So thanks for ruining the record. Uh, yeah, Andrew keeps putting back the uh, the picture I posted when when uh, they said uh, the 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 fat filter on Cody Glass <laughs> because he gained twenty pounds. Anyways, um, I have a lot of confidence in Cody Glass because as Eric was saying about uh, the story of Cody Glass when he went to the AHL that uh, that same season when uh, Haig and White Cloud was lighting up the season. Cody Glass came in in the Calder Cup playoffs, and he was really, really good. He was one of their best players 
as a rookie, he just came out of the juniors. He got for the uh, Portland Winterhawks got eliminated in the first round, so he went into the AHL and they made the Calder Cup Finals as Cody Glass is their number. I, I believe he was the number two center uh, that year, but he I think and he was uh, second in the team in points, I believe, uh, only behind Brandon Peary, I believe. But he he was he was really really good, and I've seen him. Do it. I have, we we seen him flashes in the NHL, but I saw him in the AHL. That's why I was so confident that Cody Glass can really take up, uh, put take it to the next level. Because every league he's been in, he's he's been one of the best players in the league ever since, in in, in juniors and in the AHL. He's been one of the best players. So I believe he can take his, the next step in the NHL. So that's why I was okay with trading Stastny. I've been harping it for months because I have confidence in Cody Glass. Yeah, essentially for this team to be better, you got to look at can Glass replace what Stasny did and can Petrangelo be better than Schmidt was last year? Because if, if those two things can happen, the team's better. And and I think the the overwhelming answer is yes. Now, here, here's the thing that people also need to, need to remember. This team was not elite last year. They went on an elite run after DeBoer came in, but they were out of a playoff spot when they fired Turk. They were, they were just kind of middling around. Yeah, it was never worried about them making the playoffs, but they were not this, this powerhouse team. The only reason they had the number one seed is because they won the round robin. They won the three games in the round robin. Otherwise, they would have been the three-seater. So, I mean, it's not, it's not that hard to imagine this team being better this year than they were last year, and that's all that you hope for. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I, I saw some really cool stuff from, from Cody Glass. I think, you know, Carlo and, and Dave were both mentioning you saw the flashes here and there. Um, the one that I'm thinking of in my head is the that on the power play that no look pass through the oh. crease to Patrick. So, to Patrick, yep, back door. Uh, that was like one of the my favorite passes of the season. I it, it was it was just executed perfectly on that power play. So yeah, and, I, I'm, and both and this is a point that uh, that Dave and Carlo kind of both made. Both Stone and Patrick loved playing with him and loved getting him that first goal. Remember he got his first goal on a, on a oh, power yeah. play and, and stone and Patrick were both on the ice at that time. Like they love this kid. They, they spoke very highly of this kid. He is the future. So the future is now for him. He needs to go. But one little point that I will make on it, do not freak out when he's, when the last day of training camp before the season opens, whenever that is, when he ends up in the AHL because he's waiver exempt and they will need to put him down there in order to be cap compliant if they don't make any other moves. So fan base, calm down. That does not mean he will stay down there. That just means that they have to be cap compliant on the last day of training camp before the first day of the season. He will most likely start in the AHL because he is, once again, waiver exempt. And then they'll play somebody on LTIR and bring him up because there will be an injury, whether it's Leonard with his shoulder or somebody else in camp gets hurt. But at least... He doesn't have to do the Nick Waugh special and go to Chicago and back every single time. Correct. He will just go to Henderson. And once again, we have no idea what the season's going to look like. We have no idea if there's going to be an AHL season. We have no idea if they're going to allow taxi squads the whole year, but just they don't count against your cap unless you actually bring them up. I mean, there's going to be goofy things that the season happens just because nobody has any idea about it. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later um, on the, the AHL and NHL seasons. Um, but go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, I was gonna say if glass doesn't work out, Krebs might. <laughs> so, well, we did hear. Talk, uh, hey, and they've been talks that he might like he does like like I said like I said this whole time don't rule him out on making this roster, especially without entry level contract. Don't you I forget think, to talk about McNabb a little bit more though. Yes, talk about <laughs> McNabb. I I think the one thing he is gonna go off, um, and play in World Juniors, which is I think. Last week of December through the first week of January, he'll go and play for Team Canada up in Edmonton, it's going to be. And then the WHL season starts right after that. So depending on when the NHL season would start will be very dependent on what happens with him because I still don't see it. I, I hope I'm wrong. Look, I hope that he is good enough to play on this team as an NHL everyday player. I really, really hope that is because having another entry-level contract that's going to be elite or be good enough to, to earn a spot would really help this team out. I just don't see it this year, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I, I would love to see it. Um, I don't know if it'll happen, but I, 
do feel like they'll do the the nine games or whatever, right? The the wait the exempt games or something. I don't think so. They've never done it with anybody. Well, there's always a. Brandstrom was the man. closest. So remember um, that second season, Brandstrom came into camp. He was fantastic. First, like five um, preseason games, he was absolutely lighting everything on fire. And everybody's like, okay. They kept making cuts, and it was him and one other. I forgot who the other one was. And they're like, hey, this kid has a chance of making it. And then that sixth preseason game came, and he shit all over himself. When he was playing against actual everyday NHL players, he completely shit the bed. Turnovers. I mean, he was like a dash four. I mean, he was bad that game. And then he got sent down. So he was the closest this team has had to somebody getting those nine games, and he never even got any of them because he played so bad in the last preseason game. I hope I'm wrong. I really would love to see Krebs. Just I, I think him. Do that. I think him being in the bubble. Sp- spoke a lot to me in my opinion and like like they've never done it they're they're a four-year-old club there's three, like, yes. three-year-old well soon to be soon four. to be four yeah there, there's a first time for anything you know it's gonna be a first time like this like of course they haven't done it they haven't done a lot of things it's they haven't a, it's, won a family cup yeah it's a really young it. club so <laughs> i won't like i said the, the, I, i'm not saying he's gonna make it or not i'm just don't say don't rule it out because i think Krebs is that good, you know? I hope I hope I'm wrong. Like I said, I really, really, really hope I'm wrong, and I hope they give him that chance. Because once again, if you look at this team, who's going to be on entry level contracts? That's that's contributing. Glass, obviously, we assume he's going to be between Pacioretty and Stone. Whether you want to call that line one or line two or line fifteen, I don't care. Uh, we hope that Hague gets that opportunity, and. I mean, White Cloud's not on an entry-level contract, but he's making league minimum seven hundred twenty-five thousand or whatever. Uh, Wa also not on a, on an entry-level contract, but he's same thing, making under seven fifty. So you got those four players that are going to make under a million dollars that are con- going to contribute to this team. That's really going to help. But they, you need to have that. I mean, they don't need to be as good as Elias Patterson. But look how good that team is when you've got Quinn Hughes and Elias Patterson contributing, making less than a million dollars. Right? They're playing at a eight million dollar level and they're making less than a million so vegas needs that now and this is that first year going into their fourth year that they can have that opportunity i think um well, any th- we'll see what happens yeah i was gonna say any any thoughts on that dave or or do you want to uh do you want to kick us off on the, the next i i think you know that this team's becoming more that that veteran team that wants to have the experienced players because they want to make that run for the cup yeah we're going to need more entry-level players because, you know, it'll help us become cap-compliant as well, too. But they're going to want, especially in a short season, you know, even though things are reported at, you know, potentially being 82 games, I can end up being a short season. And you want to – you don't want to waste games on kids that aren't ready. Yeah. Now, do we think – do we think that uh, Haig is almost a guarantee to be on this roster somewhere? In my personal opinion, yes. I think it's 80% for me. Like, he could, because that's why we have Holden, just in case Haig uh, doesn't make it. We still have, we have Holden to uh, fall back on, you know? So I I would, I think Haig will make it, but I don't think it's 100% guaranteed. White Cloud is 100%, to be honest. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. his, uh, his uh, third right, uh, right defenseman spot on lockdown. Yeah, for sure. Like how he locks down forwards. I think uh, I think it depends on on once again. Let's let's assume that they are able to to get cap compliant and go thirteen forwards and, and seven defensemen. I think he's your seventh defenseman. Whether that means he's playing in, in a game or whether Holden's playing, I think yes, he's there. Um, but I, it's just it's it depends on what the season is. Once again, I, I mean. It'll be hard to say because I agree with what Dave said. I mean, if you're only playing 56 games or 48 games, how many of them are you willing to to, to run the risk that he's not there, right? He should be. I mean, he got to, to practice every day up there in the bubble, and but he never even sniffed getting into the game. I mean, he probably would have been, what, ninth behind Merrill, England, and then Hague maybe? So, yeah. Now you lost Merrill in, in England. I get that. So he definitely, they're opening a roster spot for him, but he now has to go out and beat, beat out Nick Holden. So can he be better than Nick Holden? Yes, he absolutely should be. Yeah. 
Yeah, and and Holden, you know, now that his contract is reduced at that 1.7 or whatever down from the 2.2, I, I think that makes more sense from a uh, a money perspective to be acceptable to sit Holden, even if it's only half the games maybe. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, looking at some of the prospects, does anybody else even remotely have a chance? I know we had talked maybe about Coglin maybe seeing a couple games, but I, I really I just don't don't see anybody else really making it up. There. No, there's he'll there's be a, a call up. Yeah, there's a few players that I see I can see play play a few games, see their uh, NHL looks. Coglin is one of them. I think Alvin is going to see his look. Uh, I think Quinny is going to be uh, is getting a few games in there too. Uh, he already had his looks though last year, but yeah. uh, Dugan maybe depends how he plays in the NHL. Maybe later in the season. Uh, he's gonna get his looks, but there are a few players that I can see. Like those, those are the three I think: is uh, Coglin, Elvinus, and Dugan might get their NHL uh, uh, debuts this year. So you, those for, are, you, those you are forgot the god Patrick Brown. You know Patrick Brown. Oh, I said it. NHL debut. He, he, oh, uh, good point. Yeah, so <laughs> he's he's got an he's, NHL goal. I think he's got a playoff goal. Yeah, he's a playoff goal, man. Yeah. He's, uh, you get he you got to get your snacks and your nap, and you get an NHL goal. <laughs> that's right. So you do it. But I, I think I think for the next two years, I mean, as much as all of us love talking about prospects and all that stuff, this is a veteran-laden team that is going for the cup. You're not going to see many rookie call-ups either They're, of these next two years. But you still need those, like like you said, the entry-level contract teams. I agree. How do how do you think uh, Tampa figure out uh, Sorelli was ready or or whatever? They had to call him up and get him give him a chance in the NHL, you know? So it, 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 it got to be like that sometimes. Yeah, Sergeyev and Sorelli both played on entry-level contracts and were mm-hmm. both key contributors to their cup run. So that's I agree, entry-level contracts have to have to mm-hmm. contribute. So hopefully uh, Glass and Hague are ready to take that next step. Yeah, and you can't, you can't, uh, you got to give those kids a chance for them to contribute. So that's, that, that's why you have to do it. Uh, you, you don't expect them to, uh, give huge contributions right away, but you gotta give them a chance. You know, in the fourth line, in the in the in the third pairing or bottom six or whatever. But they they gotta get their NHL games. Yeah. Um, so so why don't we uh, move on here and and go a little bit into the. Uh, uh, I know Bill Foley's been giving out a lot of interviews lately. I know he did one with the, the Review Journal. He did one with Brian Blessing. Um, he's been been very very uh, chatty with the the hockey universe lately. So um, I know some of the things he was mentioning was that he felt like it's probably going to land somewhere between like 48 and 56 or 60 games or something like that. NHL, I know, um, you know, Bettman has still been saying, oh, we're going to do 82 or we're going to try as hard as we can to do it. I think the closer we get to November, December without hearing anything more about any more details, the less likely it would be because we talked about this timeline last week of like how that would potentially fit in. So uh, how how do you all see the uh, the schedule uh, coming out on this? And and Dave, maybe you want I'll, I'll have you start off here because um, I know that you chatted with uh, one of the reps for season ticket holders recently as well. Well, yeah, uh, my season ticket rep called earlier in the week and said, "Well, the plan is still eighty-two games, you know," and I I'm. I have to be honest, I kind of laughed at it at first. I'm like, I don't see how there's any way you're going to get 82 games in, especially as we know, NBC has the Olympics and they got the Summer Olympics coming up because it was passed on last year because of COVID. But, and oh, yes, the Olympics is not until late uh, July, but it, it's still, I just don't see how they're going to get 82 games in if they don't. I mean, the plan date is January 1st, but even that is iffy because we would start hearing things right now about how they're going to do scheduling and what kind of events they're going to have. But the rep said, oh, no, they're going to cut out a few things. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, well, what are they going to cut out? Obviously, you've cut out the All-Star game. Uh, that's like a four-day four, four day trip there. Uh, Winter Classic. The Winter Classic and no, uh, no Stadium Series games. You know, but that's about the only thing you can really cut out. Um, I know they won't have, like, no games in Europe as well too so team by weeks too the team by weeks yeah, will be team by weeks but that only cuts out a little bit and having like four or five games a week that's gonna i don't we talked about this before too we don't see the players association going on that so i really do not see 82 games at all i could see at the most 60 
And I think it will be Western Conference versus Western Conference only or Eastern Conference versus Eastern Conference only, unless they go with the rumored change in divisions for one year when they go with that all-Canadian division and then they change the Pacific division and then the Eastern divisions get swapped out as well too. So, I mean, until we get more of something concrete on that, the most I see is 60 games. Yeah, I, I think 82 is impossible, man. Unless they want to get into uh, to the summer again, which I don't think they will because you got to remember, after the season, it's the expansion draft. Uh, they're not going to push that back. Uh, and that's going to just screw over Seattle. And, and the Olympics. Yeah, and the, and the Olympics too. But yeah, like 60 the most, 62 the most. I, I can't see go over the over over that number uh i i can even see like cutting in half like 42 but just just to try to keep it you know with it like back to the regular schedule where the playoffs starts in april or whatever but 82 is just impossible man so something to think about in 2012 2013 they had a strike shortened season Mm -hmm. that season started on january 19th and ended on April 28th. They played 48 games. So could they get a few more games in and follow that same timeline because they want to play a few more instead of reducing it by 41% or whatever? Yes, they could probably get up to that 56 number, but they're not getting anywhere near 82. A couple big reasons why. You guys already touched them, right? NBC owns the Olympics. That starts like July 23rd. The biggest reason is they do not want to push the Seattle expansion any further because Seattle has already written the check for $650 million that is going to go split, be split 30 ways to every NHL team. So, except for Vegas. But we don't lose a player. So, yeah. So Foley's not going to get any money, but they're not going to lose a player. Every, every team has to lose a player, but they're going to get one-thirtieth of $650 million. For teams that are already struggling because they're not going to have gate revenue and all this stuff, that is going to be a godsend to them. So they absolutely have to follow that that sort of timeline. If you start the uh, playoffs in April, that year they were able to award the Stanley Cup uh, sometime around like June 23rd, I think is what it was when I read. So I think that's kind of your template is middle of January, end of, end of April is when the uh, playoffs would begin. And then end of June is when the Stanley Cup will be awarded. You could still have your draft then, like a week later, expansion draft then beyond that, or I guess expansion draft comes first. before. Yeah. yeah, expansion draft first, then your uh, entry-level draft, and then um, your free agency. You could have all that done by the middle of July, and your Olympics are able to, to follow suit. So I think that's kind of the timeline you're looking at. 48 to – like Carlos said, max 62, some, somewhere in the 60 range, I think. But the players are not going to be happy about this because they're going to lose whatever percentage of, of games that are lost. They're losing that percentage of salary. Well, uh, the, well the owners is not going to be happy because they need uh, uh, the crowd there because they're also going to be losing money. So yeah, no, I was just yeah. going to bring that up because and one thing I forgot to mention is that the rap over said, oh, we plan at 100% capacity. And I that's honestly something I laughed at even harder than the schedule. 100% capacity because, you know, as we know, numbers are starting to go back up again around the country. And it was stated by the can, uh, Canadian prime minister yesterday or the day before that he will keep the Canadian border closed until the United States gets COVID under control. They're going to build a wall. <laughs> yeah. They're going to make you, the United States pay for it. <laughs> um, uh, not, not to get off on a, on a COVID tangent, but, I think like yesterday or the day before was like one of the fifth highest days ever for, for daily cases, like yeah. ever. So, you know, uh, it's probably not, not getting under control anytime soon. And especially cause uh, you're about to lose humidity for the summer. It's going to get worse. Unfortunately, not trying to be doom and gloom, but yeah, it's um, Sisolak is still only allowed 10% and Foley said that there, so if you haven't listened to the, the conversation you, and you do kind of want to listen to it, you can, it's on uh, Vegas, hockey hotline with brian blessing it is a little negative i mean foley does not paint a rosy picture i'm hoping given the fact that he's a super successful businessman he knows what he's doing and he's painting that picture so there's some public pressure on sisolak to change the 10 percent thing i think a lot of it is that but he was 
very doom and gloom about it. He's like, there's going to be teams that won't be able to operate. We won't be able to operate. If we have to go the season without fans, he's going to lose $125 million. How many people would sign up to do that? I get all that. So I just hope it's uh, he was trying to apply some public pressure to Sisolak to opening it up because 10% won't work. He says 50% is what they need, 40 or 50%. So hopefully they're able to figure that out. Now, if they go 100%, you guys, would you go? Yeah, I was just going to ask that. It, 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 even if at 50%, does anybody here or who here feel safe enough to go to a game? Well, let's put it this way. Since March, the only time I have left my house is go to a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment. So that's probably all I have to say right there. Yeah. <laughs> so here's how – I don't know what to say. Like, AJ, you took two seats for me. You, you, you know where my seats are, right? Yep. Like, I have – probably the ideal seat for avoiding people when it comes to a a professional sports with 18,000 people like I got nobody to the left of me nobody to the front of me and only people that I know to the right of me and whoever's behind me so I would probably mask the fuck up and go like because I'm not worried about anybody being near me right like I can put multiple masks on and go and not high five anybody just go enjoy myself and leave so i have the perfect seat i would probably be dumb enough to still attend like half of the games maybe more the the lot of our listeners know though too is the main reason for me is because i'm extremely high risk yep. my diabetes swing yeah i have also i have nobody on my left side and i have somebody i completely trust on my right side i somebody behind me that i trust as well too and people i trust in front of me but it's just not the collective whole together in that yeah. spot because you got the front it, row i'm fifth row so and it's not go. just about in your seats too because coming coming in and going out the, the people exactly. yeah the people funnel into the doors and the escalators and the stairs and all that they they, they funnel and it's not just in your seats there's another reason why guys i get there so early and be front of the line yeah, so you don't have to, to avoid or don't have to interact with anybody. I get it. I mean, I, I don't think we're going to be in that position. I honestly think that – and, look, we're all upper bowl as well, not not to give uh, the Golden Knights any, uh, any weight off the hook. There's no fucking way we're going to get the opportunity to get seats if they only have 40%. They're going to go yeah. to the lower bowl people that spend all the money. Like, the people that spend more money are going to have the opportunity to go, the ones that don't. We're not going to have that opportunity. I get it. I'm not even going to complain about it, but I hope, I hope it's somewhere around 50% and they can figure out how to give half the stadium every other game or something like that. I mean, I think they could figure it out. Yes. At least the rep uh, told me though, too, they will relax the seat selling uh, jargon they have about people selling their seats and things like that. As long as they know ahead of time, that's the reason why you're selling your seats. Yeah. I mean, I'm just here hoping that 2021 is better than 2020. That's all I'm can, asking for. Can, it's a low bar. Can, can it be any worse? I mean, I mean, we, we thought 2019 was Not to take this in a, in a different way, but I mean, other than a civil war, is there really anything that could make 2021 Giant, worse Giant than Meteor. 2019? Giant Meteor aliens. Those are yeah, aliens. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Yeah, I mean, last year we did. We did uh, go after Area 51, so the aliens might storm Area 51. So, <laughs> so if you really want to think about how long this year has been, Kobe Bryant passed away this year. Okay. That seemed like it was after years he passed ago. away. That's when everything went to shit. So Correct. it's Kobe yeah. Bryant that was protecting us from everything. God, Kobe's the man. My dog's Kobe. <laughs> so man. Um. So so yeah. I guess uh, let let's move on. Eric, you want to do a, the the rapid fire? I think I feel like you're really good at this for the uh, off season around the NHL experience here. <laughs> All right, rapid fire. Oh, hold on. One thing to touch on: AHL season. Does anybody think there's going to have a season or no? Mm. I don't know. Uh, their costs are high, not high, but just they really rely on season ticket revenue more so yeah. than the NHL. So I uh, yeah. I have it I at thirty percent. I have it at 30%. Did you guys pay your season tickets? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Mine gets charged on Tuesday. Yeah, that's our last payment coming out. I mean, AHL tickets are super cheap, so I'm not – whatever. You want to hold $1,200 of my dollars for a year? Hey, not that I'm not going to miss it, but I don't think we'll – I don't – I don't know. If they don't have the season, then it starts coming into do they – once again, allow them to practice with them because you're just missing a year of development. That's going to suck. Yeah. So I hope they have it. I, I mean, 
I don't know that I would go to one of those games though. Like if, if, if I had, if they said 50%, do you want your tickets? I'd say, no, just push it to next year. I would not want my tickets like for the AHL. I would only take the chances going to the NHL. Dave, I mean, obviously you wouldn't take the chance. Yeah. Okay, no, so. And I, and I, I would, you know, I, I and uh, I'll, then we can move on, but real quick, I, I was just had a thought that, you know, if they were asking for volunteers because they could only do the 50%, I wouldn't mind being one of those volunteers just because, I mean, you guys know my back, my situation. I really want to like save for a house and stuff. Not that I can't win season tickets, it just speeds up my timeline. So I'd be okay, like, you know, being one of those people if they're like, hey, do we have any volunteers who want to just wait till 2021, 22? But you know they wouldn't give you your money back. They would just move it forward. Oh, that's totally fine too. Yeah. But it means that I could save more for 2021. Makes sense. And, uh, not have to worry about it, basically. Um, so yeah, why, why don't we hand it off to uh, Eric to do uh, the the rapid fire around the NHL, and then we'll uh, we'll close out for today. All right. So we had the big one was uh, Jumbo Joe went to Toronto. Thankfully, he didn't come to Vegas. Vegas fans uh, are happy that he did not come here. Um, Couldn't doesn't like. <laughs> I would have been okay with it, man. To be honest, the little the little joke I forgot who uh, who put this. Uh, I saw it yesterday on Twitter, and it's fucking hilarious. He he yeah. can't. He knows he won't be able to play oh, yeah. late into the season, <laughs> so he he's going to Toronto because he won't have to play past the first round because they'll get eliminated <laughs> in the first round. Yeah, pretty funny joke when, when whoever said that. That I mean, that's why he signed there. So is it but a no, joke he, though? He's from uh, Ontario, so he, he's from up there. So that's why he went back there. Uh, God, he had been with San Jose since 2005. Like, he had a lot of success, everything except for the cup. So Boston fans are going to hate that. Uh, next one was Ottawa gives Yevgeny Dadanov a three-year, $5 million-a-year contract. That doesn't make any sense for any of the teams involved. Doesn't make sense for Ottawa. Doesn't make sense for the player. It, it makes no sense why he couldn't go somewhere else. I think he's uh, a good player. Yeah, he's a good player, but I mean, Ottawa's, Ottawa's like, drunk. That's, yeah. that's yeah, all they're, they're supposed to be bad again. Like it's, I know we talked about it last year or last week, but the Matt Murray contract is another just atrocious, atrocious contract. <laughs> um, big one, Taylor Hall. So we talked about Vegas was in on him a little bit. Uh, he went to Buffalo for a one-year deal. Very, very confusing deal because he talked about how he wanted to win previously, and so now he goes and signs a one-year. $8 million a year contract in Buffalo. They're going to trade him at the uh, deadline, most likely. Uh, Patrick Marlowe, who is 40. Dave, how many games away is he from breaking the record? Oh, geez. Yeah. It, no, 44. 44. Yeah, I was going to say 44. 44 yeah, so, to tie it, 45 to break it. So watch it be they, a 40 game season. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's <laughs> he'll, he'll come back the following year. So he's he's on, on, on pace to, to break. Uh, the all-time games played record. So that's actually a really cool thing. Uh, the fact that he's still playing at a decent level. Um, and then the Rangers signed uh, their backup goalie, Georgiev, and uh, Tony D'Angelo, who is rumored to be coming here, thank God he's not, uh, as a uh, right defenseman. So they sent him to a two-year deal. He will be in Seattle in two years. He also signed uh, Lafreniere of Tusa ELC. So. Yeah, so a uh, couple ELC signings that were big. Uh, that one, Byfield signed his. Byfield, yeah. Um, Ozzy uh, Weisenblatt, the 31st pick for San Jose, which was really cool that they signed his name, signed. Um, the Flyers signed their fourth round pick. He was a black uh, kid. It was it was big news. I forgot his last name. Wisdom, Win, something like that. Um, yeah. So there's there's not a, not a lot of ELC signed. Vegas is not going to sign any of their players. Um, Brisson is in the NCAA, so you can't sign him until he's ready to come out. And the rest of the kids aren't going to sign year one. Uh, how about the, I think it was the NHL's website or their tweet where <laughs> they they mentioned the San Jose signing, but they didn't mention the kid's name. They just said the the thing is said something like the the deaths or the deaths. Uh, I can't think of what they said now. All of a sudden, I'm getting tongue tied. But they just uh, they the what they posted was just not very good. So they didn't even list the kid's name. It was like oh uh, draft pick with deaf grandmother or something gets signed. Didn't even mention this <laughs> Oh geez, I did not see that. Oh no, that's that's oh, that's no. not fun. Um, so so yeah, I think uh, that that pretty much wraps it up for today. Uh, we got through lots of good stuff about talking about Petrangelo and this future roster. Um, we'll be we'll be back either next week or the week after with another episode. We're probably going to start slowing down just a little bit once it, now that the news is slowing down for the off season. So um, let's try to do a big. 
Let's try to do a big mailbag one next week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll idea. start promoting mailbag and, and uh, you know, just push out a bunch of tweets on the, the Vegas Nightly account to, to get some feedback and see what everybody wants to talk about. And we can have some fun next week. And, and I'm sure you'll come up with some real good stuff for Carla. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, thanks, everybody, for uh, sticking with us into the off season and, and enjoying. Uh, we've been enjoying the feedback we've been seeing on Twitter and, and all the positive positive uh, comments and, and the fun negative ones. So, uh, so fuck you guys all, too. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, it's been it's been a really fun uh, off season so far. Hopefully, uh, we don't have to wait too too much longer until we find out more news about when we're actually going to see some game again. So, uh, so yeah, as as always, we'll uh, we'll we'll be back soon with this uh, this good mailbag, and, and we'll see you then. Thanks, guys. Peace. The Petro.